If you are a healthcare provider, payer, administrator, or really anyone who's still having trouble wrapping your head about this blockchain thing, specifically how it works in healthcare, you should check out a new online Udemy course meant to teach non-technical people about blockchain's implications on healthcare. The course includes 14 video lectures and sections on cryptography, consensus mechanisms, smart contracts, and how they apply to the healthcare industry. The course is normally $200, but you can get it for $75 if you use promo code HEALTHUNCHAINED. That's one word, HEALTHUNCHAINED. You can find the link in the show notes or search for blockchain and healthcare on udemy.com. It should be the first result created by Jacob Dreyer from Simply Vital Health. Welcome to 2019, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 22. Do you know how much it costs to get a knee surgery in the Boston area? According to Blue Health Intelligence, it can cost anywhere between $17,000 and $74,000 for the same procedure. The unfortunate part is that the patient usually has no idea how much it costs to get a clinical procedure done or medical service rendered. Even the people who work in the hospitals don't know the price the patient will actually pay. In today's episode, I speak with Brennan Hodge, founder of Citizen Health. I first saw Brennan's pitch at the Distributed Health Conference in 2018. His passion to fix healthcare has driven him to build a fair marketplace and personal health record that will enable patients to seek services that they need with the prices clearly displayed. We had a great conversation with some unexpected stories, so I hope you all enjoy the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is the founder of Citizen Health, a public benefit company on a mission to build a better healthcare system. Brennan Hodge, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining. You're somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. You've, you're a founder of DB Vantage, which did web development work, uh, CEO of Farm Medio. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious. Tell us where you come from and tell us about the previous experiences that have driven you to start Citizen Health. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Ray. I appreciate it. And yeah, I've, I've been passionate about healthcare and technology and science since I can remember. As always, my passion was to really, it was to go into medicine and, and going through college, undergrad was in biology and chemistry, wanted to be a pharmacist, wanted to go be a biomedical engineer. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So uh, I chose to go to medical school and went through everything, MCAT and stuff. And the day I was going to apply, I kind of had a change of heart. You know, I, was, I was day trading throughout the master's of biomedical science program I was in. And everybody was saying, why, why are you going to med school? Why don't you go into finance or something like that? So I really had a change of heart. And I realized that my passion was really in the technology and finance and business and software side of healthcare. And I thought I could make a bigger impact there. So I withdrew from that program and went and got my MBA and, and went that route. And about about 11 years later, here I am putting it all together and trying to make an impact in healthcare. 
And, and I had a few startups. Um, my last one was probably the one that drove me to start Citizen Health. And it was Farmedio. And we built pharmaceutical platforms for pharmacies, specialty pharmacies that sold cancer drugs, compounding pharmacies that uh, compounded personalized medications for patients. Uh, and we had a few PBMs on there. And um, <laughs> put it this way, we uh, we built software unknowing to us that uh, facilitated a huge fraud <laughs> across the country. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is I got a this is a whole other story. I can tell you a lot about this, but I'll sum it up to say I watched one pharmaceutical sales rep make half a million dollars a day in commissions. Uh, over the course of a few months, this particular sales rep made twenty three million dollars, and I watched, and we had a bird's eye view. We had about about a hundred pharmacies at one time on our platform, and I could see all the claims processing, wholesale cost of these drugs, you know what the physicians were prescribing them for, and like I said, I had a, a bird's eye view of everything going on, and I can just like point out fraud, and uh, it was it was sickening if you really get down to it. And I, I started hanging out with the CEOs of these companies and I mean, living a high life and you know, flying around their jets and stuff and, and talking to them. And the more I got in with that crowd, I realized that they do not care about the patient. Like these people cared about billing insurance companies for the maximum amount. They didn't care what product they were selling. Didn't matter. They were playing the insurance game. They were finding loopholes. They were sourcing stuff from China, getting it through customs, through some shady methods. Hmm. And uh, these are PBMs doing this now, like wow. PBMs. And uh, Cardinal Health actually called us up. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Very large. Uh, I wouldn't call them a PBM. But they have this thing. It's one part of what they do. I mean, they're in this too. And there's different levels of these PBMs. They have uh, kind of like the the public version of it. And then they have some the, the dark deals in the back. And some people they send out there, they don't, really don't like to claim but there's some shady stuff going on in the pharmaceutical world. And, you know, what we did, we um, I started seeing this in 2015 and I just realized, oh, there's a problem. And I don't like and I don't want to contribute to this problem anymore. Right. So that's when I started wanting to pivot Farmedio to Citizen Health and really start focusing on helping patients not spend a whole lot of money on healthcare. And that pivot was kind of made up. Um, well, actually. I didn't make up my mind. The FBI made up my mind and they raided a bunch of our clients like SWAT team like raids. And wow. this happened, this happened January of 2016. I definitely remember it because I share a parking lot with the FBI field office. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, it was a crazy day, crazy week, crazy month, crazy year. So were you held liable for, for your participation in like having uh, no. a farm video? Okay. So no, these are, uh, well, all we do is provide software. Mm -hmm. for their sales forces. We had analytics and really for the pharmacist to go on there and just make sure claims were being processed correctly. Uh, Built some great software. It, it, the thing is, we allowed this, you know, it wasn't necessarily a fraud, but we had about a billion and a half dollars transacted on our platform. And, you know, without our software, that would have never happened just because we allowed them to scale their sales forces. We had, you know, reporting, analytic reports, um, ways they can order wholesale drugs, and uh, like I said, they were they were struggling until we came in there and said, hey, we can automate a lot of this process. And I thought we were doing great until I realized that, oh, man, these guys are doing something shady. And like I said, it's not all fraud. It's it's that that legal fraud. You know, it's contractually that the insurance companies are contractually obligated to pay uh, for these services. And they just they gain the system. So but uh, 
no, I've talked to the FBI um, multiple times, <laughs> and they're actually going through uh, trials and stuff, right? Uh, actually, all this this year, people have been going to prison uh, for this. Uh, they're cracking down. There was this one nurse practitioner. She got so three to five years for uh, it's only $50,000 in kickbacks. That was it. Wow. I mean, yeah, they cracked down on the, the providers, you know, a couple physicians, a couple nurse practitioners. Uh, but the thing is, these sales reps, they just got off Scott clean. Just they made millions of dollars and nobody looked at them. See, that's an example of how the current system is obviously very broken. If they're, these people are almost incentivized to you know, be selling and without a kind of transparent way of knowing what's going on, it is allowed to happen until the FBI investigates, for example. And very recently, actually on January 1st, 2019, there was a new policy by the CMS, Center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services. It says hospitals across the United States are responsible for providing the prices of services that they offer to the public to be machine-readable. And this mandate is part of, part of CMS's larger uh, inpatient and long-term care hospital prospective payment systems. And I know they're also focusing on pharmaceuticals, too. They want pharmaceutical drugs to be prices to be just as transparent. Um, do you think this is a step in the right direction? And do you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah, it is a step in the right direction, uh, a very small baby step, Okay. Uh, but it is in the right direction. I know there's a lot of activity. People just <laughs> giving screenshots about different hospitals providing CPT codes that, of course, it's supposed to be machine readable, not necessarily human understandable right now. That was the rule. So, uh, so like uh, Cleveland Clinic's actually doing a good job in terms of giving some prices for these services, but the majority of these hospitals <laughs> really don't know what their what their services cost. But I do think it is the the right direction on um, putting these things up there uh, and machine readable. I mean, that's really just a CSV file. Uh, it's kind of one of the standards, and having that out there, it's good because now with Kind of what we're doing, we can start aggregating a lot of these CPT codes and start giving the prices to patients where you can see, uh, can have some transparency on prices across the country, what things cost. And there's a few services out there that have been doing this, and it just falls in line with what we're doing as well. But uh, to get to the pharmaceutical side, that is huge because kind of going back to what I just said about Pharmedio, uh, these drugs and majority of the, the insurance was Medicare, Medicare or Medicare and TRICARE our military insurance. Hmm. So that's TRICARE paid the majority of this stuff. And they're just, their contracts were terrible because these medications would only cost a hundred dollars wholesale and they would bill TRICARE for $25,000. That is a huge return on investment. Wow. It's great. I mean, if you want to make money, uh, that's what people did. But, uh, you know, right there. Do would... you know, sorry to interrupt you. Do you know if these drugs are like, um, uh like painkiller drugs or are they like, you know, chemotherapies? Like what kind of, what uh, kind majority of, of this was transdermal pain drugs. Um, it's, mm -hmm. you know, had lidocaine, diclofenac, you know, stuff that, um, <laughs> a little bit better than icy hot. <laughs> if you really want to know, uh, it wasn't anything great. And actually I did try it and, um, I'm not gonna lie. It, it did work um, sp for specific pain. And the reason I, I really got into this when I, these companies came to me is because I wanted people to get off opioids. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you have pain, if you drive a forklift every day, you don't need to be taking some hard painkiller. 
So I was thinking, this is great. You know, you don't have the side effects. It still uh, eliminates the pain. And, you know, it, it did work, but people just got out of, out of control with it. But it was the, the transdermal pain cream. And you had some metabolic formulations uh, that was really a glorified uh, five-hour energy shot. And then you had um, some scar formulations. And the scar stuff worked great. I mean, if you have a scar, it's some of the best stuff out there. But once again, it wasn't just... Well, with compounded medications, they passed a law like in the early 2012, 2011, where instead of billing for the highest priced ingredient, you could now bill for all the ingredients in a drug. So people started saying, hey, let's game this and let's figure out which which product, which uh, drug we can put in here for maximum reimbursement. And that's all it was is, you know, they had bill insurance companies. They said, OK, well, this insurance company reimbursed 5000. Well, let's change up the ingredients and dosage. Oh, they built for 7,500 this time. So let's, let's change that up. And it was a game. And it, did it provide a, a value to the patients? Some, yes, but for the majority, no. And I think that's the case for most pharmaceuticals out there. I mean, it's a, you have that kind of law of thirds, you know, for every drug prescribed, a third of the patients out there are going to respond perfectly to it. It's going to help them. Third, they're not going to respond at all. And a third, they're going to have some adverse reactions. So it's kind of a shotgun approach and it's not best for uh, for treating patients. And I definitely think that genomics is going to play a huge role in that moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely, I totally agree with you there. Um, and just a little bit more about the pricing. I know the hospitals are posting like their charge master prices, but that doesn't really necessarily help the patient know what they're going to be paying because you have this middleman, the insurance company is kind of, you know, still there and they're affecting choices really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even with these transparent prices, you know, that, with that charge master list, like, like you said, it really doesn't help the patient because then it really depends on your insurance, what contract they negotiated, what kind of backroom deals they did. And it's, it's a, it's really a dumb way of doing business. No, not knowing what you're going to pay going into a, a potential medical procedure. I mean, for instance, like the last time or the first uh, baby we had, me and my wife, well, it was a decent pregnancy. We went in there and I remember the whole process. I'm asking, well, how much is this going to cost? How much mm -hmm. is this going to cost? And they were just saying, well, it depends on your insurance. I'm like, no, it's going to be a fixed cost for you. I know that. And especially talking about uh, one, one thing that rings a bell is uh, stay at night in the hospital. And I could not get an answer out of them. It was all went through three different people. And all they would say is, it just depends on your insurance. I'm like, no. Well, they don't even know, right? Yeah, they <laughs> don't know. Yeah, so that, I guess they just pawned it off. Say, hey, well, depends on your insurance, but you know, stuff like that. It's the uncertainty. Uh, it's it's never good for a patient. I mean, you don't know if this thing's going to cost thirty thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, and you don't know if you're going to go bankrupt or not. And it's um, you know, having that uncertainty and that fear as a common thread through pretty much everybody in this country. Absolutely, and I think. You know, your company, Citizen Health, let's talk a little bit about that and how what you're doing as an open source uh, company is connecting healthcare buyers directly with the sellers, kind of removing that intermediary insurance companies in most cases uh, and thus saving costs. So I guess my first question would be, how is how is the company set up? Like it's a public benefits company. And can you tell us a little a bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we are a public benefit corporation in Delaware, and you know these PBC, a public benefit corporation or company, it it exists so we can really put 
our mission, our values ahead of profit. Right? Most for-profit corporations, you have to focus on profit above everything else. Your fiscal fiscal responsibility to focus on profit. Well, now that is in our bylaws stating that we can put patients above profit. So we're focusing more on the societal benefit of what we're trying to do versus just maximizing profit. So I like the the mission of of PBC companies, and we are we're in the process or exploring being a cooperative. And we can kind of structure our company too. It's actually structured like a cooperative now, more like a collective. Um, but we are looking into uh, certain certain routes of going being a cooperative um, in the future. I know if you ever heard of savvy savvy cooperative, kind of a, a similar route to to them. Um, but in general, citizen health, you know, the idea, the the very high level idea of citizen health is to create a, a universal healthcare system that's owned and controlled by the people and not have those third-party intermediaries really causing all the problems. Uh, because with when Farmedio kind of went downhill, I actually sold it that year, and I, I took a year off, and I researched healthcare, just what the problem was. And since I was, I saw the problem firsthand, I contributed to it, I had a good idea of where to start, mm -hmm. and that was looking at health insurance. And anyway, everywhere I looked, health insurance being that intermediary was the root cause of all problems in healthcare. I mean, it caused us to develop EHRs, which caused physician burnout. Uh, just kind of going down the list on both sides, having that intermediary basically act like a mini investment bank really caused all the problems. And I, so I, then I had a theory of what happens if we remove insurance? Like, could we actually pay for all these healthcare services directly? And I started doing the math and this took a while and I got a huge spreadsheet and I need to put it together in a paper and get peer reviewed because this is some valuable information. But if you look at what we paid, we as a society, what we paid for healthcare costs in 2015, this is when I did this study. Uh, well, this is where this data came from, but our co-pays, our premiums that we pay for insurance, our deductibles, out-of-pockets, the taxes we pay for Medicaid and Medicare this is coming out of our checks or out of our bank accounts, it was $2.6 trillion in 2015. Hmm. Well, then I said, okay, that's a lot of money. Put it in perspective, we spent maybe $800 billion last year on military globally. So $2.6 trillion, $800 billion, big difference. Well, then I said, okay, well, let me look at every single healthcare procedure and figure out how much that would cost if we just paid the doctor directly. And I use a variety of services. You have Healthcare Blue Book, you got Pratter, uh, MD Save, a lot of companies that do offer that cash price. And it's not just a hypothetical price. It's what physicians are actually charging. So it took me a while to do this, but I figured out that every single procedure done for every man, woman, and child, and this is, includes imaging, was right at $900 billion. Like, Seems like we can afford it. Like, exactly. And then, I mean, just add on another $100 billion. Yeah, some right, bad right. numbers. That doesn't include pharmaceuticals. We spent about $400 billion on pharmaceuticals, but still about half of that's not even needed. So all in all, we got we spent $2.6 trillion, but really only cost a trillion. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, there's something here. Uh, sure. This is actually feasible to go from that, you know, create this patient and provider network and just cut out the intermediaries. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on blockchain technology, and I've been following this since – Bitcoin crossed the uh, two penny barrier. Got a, a sickening story, very saddening story with that too. Um, but I've been following it since then, and I realized that you know we can use this technology, especially with smart contract, you know, 
a lot of claims processing uh, to automate all this and to remove the need for these intermediaries. And that's that's what started Citizen Health. Once I realized that this is possible, that the, the money actually is there, we pay more than enough to do this already, then let's try to do it. And around that time, I mentioned I had my firstborn son and I you know, kind of everything changes when you have when you bring a little human in this world. <laughs> Your perspective changes on the future and, and what that future needs to look like. And I realized that you know, if we didn't change anything, healthcare when he's my age is going to be terrible. I mean, it's already projected to almost double in cost in the next 10 to 15 years. And I'm thinking, you know, it's just not looking good. And with my passions and my uh, abilities and resources, I really wanted to focus on fixing healthcare. So I, I made it a, a pact with me and my son that you know, I was going to spend the next 30 years of my life fixing healthcare because I know it's a, it's a long-term journey. It's not going to happen overnight. We went off track about 30 years ago and this is where we're at now. So, it, you know, Moving forward, we have big goals, and uh, I think that's what's needed to truly fix healthcare in this country. Wow, that's an amazing story, and I'm definitely rooting for you in order to fix healthcare. A lot of people are trying to do it. I feel really confident that you have the actual experience and uh, passion to do it. So that's that's amazing. Can let's talk about get into the details of the architecture. So there are technically four digital assets right now you want to talk a little a bit about them yeah um i'll tell you what let's let's back it up into our two core products and then let's then Absolutely. we'll get into those four digital assets and how they intermingle there that makes sense. so you know what we mentioned before this basically we're creating a marketplace where healthcare buyers such as uh, people just families that purchase healthcare services employers governments anybody that buys that has a healthcare need looking for a solution and then the people that are selling solutions, doctors, surgery centers, imaging facilities. So we're creating this marketplace that you can kind of think of it like Amazon for all these procedures. And then our second product is really focusing on improving the health we have. And that is called Humantive. I don't know if I mentioned Metaplex was the name of the marketplace. So Humantive is really focused on optimizing and improving the health we have. So really two things, trying to create affordable healthcare and then try to optimize the health we have. So putting those two together, we're, that, that is what is going to fix healthcare because we're just going off track in terms of spending, going off track in terms of we're getting unhealthier. And using these two together, um, we're really trying to motivate people to do healthier things. And then when they do need care, when they need healthcare, they can go to the marketplace to get that care and actually use the data that they have generated from Humantive and uh, kind of coincide, co collaborate with the healthcare providers uh, to create something that has never really existed before. Um, and we can kind of get into that, but getting into the, the four uh, digital assets with Humantive, let's start from the very beginning, um, an ERC-20 token. That's kind of the, the, the standard for blockchain projects now. Um, we have a token called Medit that is used as a Eventually, it's going to be used as a replacement for the dollar in all healthcare transactions. And right now, uh, you can download Humantive. They're actually coming out of beta uh, probably the end of this month. And you can download Humantive in uh, iOS and Android app stores. You can connect a wearable uh, such as Fitbit, Apple Watch. That's really what we push people to, to use. And we track a few metrics. Right now, we're tracking your steps, your sleep and your activity throughout the day. So the idea is if you improve those three, 
generally everything else is going to improve too. So based on that, those, those factors, we generate a health score. And we incentivize you to improve that health score by generating medits when you hit certain levels. And with that medit, you can think of medit as a, uh, a frequent flyer program for health. So when you do healthy things, you get rewarded. And then what do you do with this medit? That's probably the first question. That is when you can go to Metaplex and if you do need a healthcare product or service or a uh, you know, particular like supplement or, or vitamins, you can actually buy that and get a discount using the, the token you just earned. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that's working. And we do have a group of physicians, our first pilot program that's willing to accept Medit as a form of payment, which is huge mm-hmm. in healthcare. I mean, to my knowledge, that hasn't happened yet. Where's that? Can you share the partner? Yeah, uh, Green Imaging. Uh, yeah. Green Imaging, uh, Lucent MD. Uh, this is, they're going to be our first pilot programs. Actually, they were the first ones we really talked to about this. I mean, literally the first ones. I think the first time I mentioned Metaplex was at a uh, health conference in San Francisco, and they were one of the first four physicians I talked to and just happened to be right there. And uh, that happened to be our first pilot programs. Um, But in reality, our pilot programs are going to be open up to everybody. Um, Where are they located? uh, Self-service. Where are they located? Uh, they are in well, Green Imaging is an imaging facility uh, or imaging company, and they have headquarters in Texas, and they have about a hundred locations in Texas. They recently expanded nationwide. They have a unique business model where they partner up with existing facilities, and that looks like three or four hundred facilities. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it's all over the country, and uh, Lucent MD is also right there in Texas in Houston. So, I'll be working with them. I'm working with also NewCare MD in Mississippi and just direct primary care practice. And you know, kind of we're opening up, really targeting anybody that offers their services for cash. And with Metaplex, that's, I mean, that's our target market. You know, that's kind of our pitch is, if you wanna be transparent, if you wanna offer your services for cash, come to Metaplex, create an account, list your services, list your prices, and have people find you. That's the first step in, in doing this and fixing and fixing healthcare, getting away from insurances, just be found. Cause I know a lot of patients out there like, well, I didn't know about direct primary care. I didn't know you could pay cash for these MRIs. Where do I go find this? And there's a few sources right now, but they're fragmented. So what we're trying to do is really aggregate everybody that wants to offer their services for cash. And um, we can get into that. I'm kind of getting off track. Sorry. So our four digital okay. assets. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, let me see. Citizen Health as a company, we are one of the first at the time we were one of the first probably 10 or 15 companies to to tokenize our equity and so this is our second so um, our second digital asset and it's called medix i mean dex and this is a security token um i saw recently it's been uh actually listed on open finance as well Mm -hmm. so yeah it will it will be it will be we already signed a listing agreement Open Finance and the whole state of the security token platforms are about six months behind schedule okay. and uh, just regulatory delays. But Open Finance was the first security trading platform that actually executed a trade on the Ethereum blockchain. And that was the beginning of December. I mean, that, that's a big moment. Yeah. And uh, too. they have two tokens listed. And I think we're we're in the first 10. So they're just kind of going down the 
uh, list there. So yeah, we will be listing on Open Finance, and there are some other trading platforms that um, we should be listing on. I mean, you look at all the the token platforms out there. Um, it's it's going to be a big market. You're going to start seeing these expand. Even Nasdaq, uh, their previous CEOs mentioned that within the next ten years they're going to be doing the same thing. I think it's going to be escalated. But uh, so, so anyway, our security token that comes with uh, certain things, just dividends, um, and there's there's a few benefits. I mean, it's not like a ex- exhaustive list of benefits for a security token, but it does help with liquidity. Uh, it does help with just execution. It makes things faster and quicker. I mean, faster, quicker, and cheaper. That's when you term looks at securities and, and raising money um, through offerings. If if you can execute it quicker and have liquidity after you purchase some of these securities, um, that's big. I mean, think about it in your traditional startup. When you do invest, uh, when do you get your money back? Typically, you probably don't. But generally, when they sell or go public, and that's right. you know, it could be five to seven years later. Well, now with these other these newer companies tokenizing their assets and selling those to investors, you have near instant liquidity. So you can turn around and resell this stuff after restriction period, maybe a year, and uh, sell it if you want to be liquid. So there's, there's some benefits to this. And we have some innovative ways of how Medix is integrated with our system and with Medit. Um, if you are a, cr- a credential physician, you can actually convert your Medit, the, the money that you, the currency you take as payment, into security tokens. So interesting. Yeah, it, it is pretty cool. How was the process for working with the SEC in order to officially be considered a security token? We went the easy route. We went with a regulation CF offering, and that's kind of the low bar. And then is when you can only you, your maximum amount raised is a million dollars. Actually, a million and seventy thousand. Not sure what seventy thousand came from, <laughs> but you can raise from accredited and not accredited investors. Uh, really, no minimum. Really, no maximum. Whatever you set. And there's a just a couple forms you have to file with SEC. Pretty straightforward. And you're starting to see more and more of these companies, Republic.co, um, Start Engines, who we raised on, um, and, and a few other companies that are doing this. And you know, the thing is, raising raising money through this way, having a security token offering, it's a little difficult since we were the first. Actually, we were the first two two comp- one of the first two companies to do it on Start Engine. And the traditional small-time investor, just your non-accredited investor, kind of just, just friends and family, they didn't know what a security token was. And just in general, they were kind of putting a security token in the same class as the ICOs of the past. Hmm. And of course, they Google that and you see all the headlines of fraud and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a difficult sell to begin with, but at the same time, there's a handful of people that really understood this and uh, knew exactly what the benefit was. So I'm seeing it more and more in the future. It's going to be, I mean, it will be standard having your security, your equity uh, tokenized. And there's multiple ways that you can look at a security. you got a debt security. You can have you know, equity security. There's a lot of different things you can do. So you're, you're going to see a lot of different ways of, of especially looking at securities in general. And that's one thing we've started doing is, not calling them security tokens, uh, just calling them digital securities now, because I, I think that is more fitting for where we're going with this technology. Very interesting. Uh, the third token you have actually is really interesting. It's a non-fungible yeah. token that you can use as a service, or it is basically a kind of a container of a service, and then you can 
purchase that service using your ticket. Do you want to talk about it? Oh yeah, yeah. This I'm really excited about this. If if you're aware of CryptoKitties, I'm sure probably some of the listeners here have been aware mm-hmm. of CryptoKitties. You know, when I saw that, everybody probably discounted. It's like, oh, that's a gimmick. But immediately when I saw it, I was like, oh, there's way more value here. We can do a lot with this. This is actually having the ability to tokenize unique assets is revolutionary. I mean, that that is going to bring the promise of blockchain to reality. Uh, and I, instantly I saw the idea that this works perfectly with healthcare. Um, for instance, you have credentials. Um, you know, you go to certain schools, you get credentialed in certain things. Well, instead of just having a little diploma on the wall or your credentials stored away in some database that you can't access all the time, um, why don't you just own that? You know, that that's your that's your identity. Let that go with you. Let other people access that whenever they need to. And I, I saw benefits there, but then I also saw that you can look at health services in the same way. And for instance, like healthcare billing, if you look at just, I'm just take a healthcare, just a physician, for example. Mm-hmm. And when they per- perform a service on a patient, they have to go into their EHR and submit all these different billing codes. And you might have six, seven different codes for really one visit. And they send that in a claim to the insurance company and they might have to haggle back and forth and they will probably wait 60, 90, 120 days later to get right. some type of payment back. Okay, that's the status quo right now. Well, we're taking it a step before that and we're going to the physician and saying, okay, this is the service you can perform. Let's tokenize that. Let's put your terms and conditions, exactly what you're going to do, and let's set your price on that. And now let's put it up for sale. And if anybody wants to use your service, they can buy it directly from you. And we can just bypass the whole billing process and claims process and just go direct. So that's kind of the whole premise of our our, our marketplace is to have these health service tokens listed just like your own Amazon shopping for any product. And when you just, for instance, say if you are searching for a, a knee surgery and you can find that complete package of services bundled up into one price. And, you know, a lot of times you, you might not think, oh, I'm going to go buy and pay for a knee surgery out of pocket. Well, a lot of people do. There's not insured, but also the self-funded employers, they're the ones writing their own checks for for their for their employees. So, yes, they do find a lot of value in this. So, for example, you can take these different healthcare services, such as Let's look at a, a knee surgery, for example, and I always use this as an example. But you have the uh, anesthesia fee, you have the the surgeon's fee, you actually have to pay for the implant, and typically you have the, the facility fee. You might have one or two other people on there you need to pay, but those are all different services. And what we can do with non-fungible tokens is treat each one of those services as you know, their own non-fungible token, but then bundle them up into one price. So... Let's just say uh, employer, your employer does purchase this full knee surgery. They purchase that. And then upon surgery execution, everybody that needs to get paid gets paid automatically. You don't have to worry about all the back office work and getting paid um, a lot of hassle. It removes, removes a lot of the friction. So that's just one example. Um, but then there's plenty of examples you can look at in terms of you know, what you can do with this. And I keep going back to a self-funded employer, and that's going to be our probably the biggest use case for what we're doing um, for with Metaplex initially, uh, they can go in there and, you know, almost create a plan. And that, that's our goal 
is they can go in there and say, well, we have 100 employees and we know on average we need three or four of these surgeries. We need probably 20 of these visits. We need you know, 40 of these medications and whatever that may look like. And they can start just checking boxes, add it to their cart and purchase this directly from the providers that they they uh, find value in and then pay them up front, kind of get that Groupon model, get a discount or spread it out over 12 months and just pay them a, a monthly subscription. Wouldn't it make sense to actually have the self-employed or self-insured employers to just have a bank of Medit instead of buying individual tokenized a- assets? Yeah, and that's that's one thing we've looked at, and that's actually one thing that we've been approached about is with Humanta. Um, that app being used as a employee engagement solution, uh, because it, I don't know if you're familiar with some of the apps and services that employers use. It's few and far between. There's a lot of employers out there looking for some good health and wellness program mm-hmm. for their employees and just getting them a gym membership. You know, it doesn't work all the time. How do you motivate people to go walk and stop smoking? It's, it's hit or miss. Um, but I will say that one of our advisors, he's an employer benefits consultant and one of his clients, their wellness program consisted of at the end of the week, they had a whiteboard and all the employees came forward and they had it, pulled out their Fitbits and say, these are my steps for the week. And they wrote it on a whiteboard, on a leaderboard. And that was it. Like whoever won, won. So, and that's very rudimentary. So what they approached us about was, hey, can we use Humanta? Can we just oh, send this to our employee, get them to sign up, you know, kind of white label page for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can start motivating them to do healthy things. And also the employers can buy Medit and use Medit as a reward. You know saying? If you hit this goal, you'll, you can, you uh, win 500 medit, something like that. So how is the price? How is the price of medit determined? I feel like that's an important part of this, uh, the tokenomics yeah. equation here. Because, <clears throat> well, good question. And we haven't determined the price yet. That is going to be left. We're going, well, not going to be left to the providers, but we're going to allow the healthcare providers on Metaplex to set the price. And the the first conversation I had with Green Imaging, we were talking about the value in Medit. And I was asked, you know, how do we value Medit? I said, well, think about it this way. You know, the time that you put into going to the gym, time you put into going walking, the time you put into actually sleeping a little bit longer, um, that's time that you're giving up for something. There's value there. So that's kind of what I was looking at in terms of you know, also burning energy, burning calories, and that's energy expended. I mean, that's kind of the same concept of, of using a computer or server to mine for Bitcoin. You're burning electricity. So kind of same concept. But uh, the physician we were talking to said, that's great and all, but we see way more value in it than that. So, for instance, they could have a patient population, a patient panel, and they're trying their best to get them to eat better, to sleep better, to walk more. And they just don't do it. But now... They can give them an app and buy them a wearable and say, hey, we're going to have a competition. Go out there and walk a little more. So now they're actually getting off the couch. They're going to walk and they're motivated to live a healthier lifestyle. And that in turn, theoretically, should lower their healthcare cost. And so the doctors immediately said, well, we see way more value in this. Kind of like a almost like that carrot you hold out on a stick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's valuable because you can motivate them to do certain things. 
So they saw a really different use case in, in having met it, and they will be the ones that set the price. Uh, for instance, the first um, the, the first ones that we, we talked about, our pilot programs, they're going to take their form of payment. I'm going to start with 90% USD and 10% MEDIT. And then once we find value and, and figure out a, a kind of a better system, we'll play with that. So it might be 80-20, might be 50-50. It really just depends on, on what the healthcare providers want to do. And you know, for instance, I said that these healthcare providers, the actual uh, credential physicians, when they accept this MEDIT, they can convert MEDIT into MEDICS or security token, which will be traded. So, you know, there's going to be this kind of a currency equity trading pair, if you will. Hmm. So, I mean, if the, the value of MEDICS is going up, they they should be seeing more value in MEDIT. So that's going to be interesting to see how a currency and equity trading pair works out. To my knowledge, nobody's really tried to do that yet. Yeah, I think that's uh, starting out with like um, that ratio, 90-10 makes a lot of sense because if you started with 100% MEDIT, people wouldn't really know how to price it because it can change, fluctuate in price and then you're performing a service that's worth much less yesterday than it is today, for example. So that makes a lot of sense to me. But they both will be publicly kind of traded on the crypto market, right? MEDIT and MEDIX. Mm-hmm. Correct. I think it's great. I mean, it makes sense to me, especially the bundled services part of it. That's that's really key, I think. Um, this way, you can have each individual person with their own separate contracts, but then put it all together. It'll execute the contract and provide payment to each participant in that transaction immediately. So I think that's cool. Are there any regulatory concerns though with all of this? Like, are there any issues where, you know, EHRs have been, or, you know, reimbursement machines they've been uh focused on reimbursement and how that works is is there any regulatory concerns in terms of reimbursement for you with uh with your services no not not with this because what we are started to see you know back in 2012 when i started looking at or found out about direct primary care i realized that this is a if your listeners don't know, this is a subscription model to health. It's where you take a primary care physician and you subscribe to their services monthly, just like a gym membership. And it's affordable, um, you know, 50 to $100 a month. And you can see them as many times you want to or whatever they decide, you know, five times a month, unlimited. You can call, text, email, chat. And since you're not billing insurance, you're not falling under HIPAA regulations. That's really what HIPAA is for is electronically billing of claims. And if you're just whipping out your credit card, you know, really no laws against that. So there's 26, there's 26 states now that have laws already passed stating that this relationship between the, the patient and the physician do not fall under the insurance regulations. So do not fall under state insurance commissioner. So, HIPAA's gone. The state insurance commissioner is gone. They're kind of left to do whatever they want to in a good way. I mean, still, of course, patient information, privacy, I mean, that's, that's paramount and that's always up there. But now these, these patients and physicians can enter into just a common relationship, just a common working relationship where they can solve problems. And so now these physicians are kind of looking at uh, their EHRs or more like project management tools where the the patient is the project and everything around them you're managing their health 
So it really drops all the regulation and all the burdensome stuff that you have to do in terms of your traditional EHRs. Um, so you know, there's not too much regulation that we have to worry about. Uh, there's probably some stuff that we're going to run into uh, that just we don't know of yet. I'm not going to say there's no regulation. When we are dealing with cryptocurrencies and payments across state lines. Yeah, we're going to be getting into telemedicine and probably around May is when we're scheduled to release this. Um, but if you look at asynchronous communication where you can record a video of you know yourself as a patient saying, I got this problem, this problem, this problem, and send that to a physician or put that up for, for bid where somebody can just uh, almost like an Uber style, somebody can swing by and say, hey, I can help you out with this, uh, have that asynchronous care aspect. Uh, there's... We're going to run into some regulations with that. Um, just haven't went down that road yet. Um, aware of telemedicine laws. Oh, we'll just we'll figure that out once we get there. But I think things are favorable, especially with DPC with uh, health savings accounts. Uh, a lot of a lot of the current regulations that are moving forward are favorable. Uh, pretty much everything is favorable for what we're doing. There's we're going in the right direction with our current um, political climate and kind of what. Uh, a lot of the regulations that are in the works and that will be passed, um, they look very favorable for what we're doing. Uh, now, you know, three, four years down the road, if we change from a um, you know, new president, no telling, <laughs> no telling. Yeah. You gotta be pretty uh, adaptive to yeah. all these things. Uh, your final uh, asset, or at least for now, the personal health asset. I think that's, I didn't really quite understand it, but uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, this is something that's it's really cool, and it's not it's not going to be ready probably until next year, twenty twenty. Uh, if you look at you know, your non fungible tokens, and look at uh, composable tokens, I don't know if, if you've seen those. It's really I don't I haven't seen anything in a while that's used this. A lot of it was theory when we came up with this, but the idea is almost like a health savings account, but a, a on the blockchain, if you want to get down to it, look at a health savings account. Uh, you you put money in there, and you can pay for healthcare services. Pretty simple. So what we're looking at is having this account that is issued to everyone. Everyone has one, and you can store all the medit that you earn from being healthy into this. Uh, if you do own equity in Citizen Health, you can store that in this. So it's like a crypto wallet, hmm. and uh, then any health service tokens that you might purchase. Uh, you can store in this. So it's like a, uh, it's a, it's a crypto wallet. If you want to think about it that way, or like a vault where you can store everything, all the assets that citizen health is creating into this wallet. Uh, and it goes with you. Um, of course, if the value goes up, the value goes up. And the idea here is it's kind of like a, you know, my dad bought me savings bonds when I was a kid and something kind of invest in your kids or your grandkids. The, the idea is that, you know, having a personal health asset, that goes with you. And this is kind of like a cradle to grave um, savings account that could potentially you know, grow into a lot of money later on when you do need it. It could so be like a kind of, retirement type of account for your health. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is, you know, right now, this is just an idea. Um, I, the technology is not there yet. I mean, this is, it, this will be definitely moving forward. Um, I'm very interested in it because I'm kind of building this for my son. That's that's the idea of something that is growing. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I said that earlier, kind of a 30-year plan. That's the idea is start seeing things becoming possible and start seeing something like this 
and especially working with an HSA. Uh, we've looked at, I've talked to two different banks about partnering with them using their HSA infrastructure um, and trying to incorporate this personal health asset into that. So not exactly ready to talk about how that's going to look yet, but um, that's kind of the direction we're heading. In 2019, hospitals are mandated to publicly post their prices for their services online. This mandate is part of CMS's, or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid's Services, inpatient and long-term care hospital prospective payment system rules. That's a mouthful. However, many in the industry say that hospitals are posting the bare minimum to comply with the mandate. This includes charge master medical codes, some abbreviations, and prices in a way that's not easy to understand for most people. Additionally, most people don't actually pay for the charge master prices, and insurance companies negotiate prices with hospitals to get better deals for their members. Some argue that it would be more helpful to actually post average prices they accept from insurers, but this could reveal hospital-negotiated secret prices. CMS has requested information from the public to improve the new rules so that patients have a more clear idea on what they are required to pay. They will consider this information in future rulemaking. But I'm not really sure how long that will take, so we shall see. Links about this new CMS rule can be found in the show notes. And now back to the show with Brennan Hodge, founder of Citizen Health. Uh, I kind of want to learn more about the proof of health algorithm. So that's something that you have uh, talked about before, and it's basically kind of a score for your health. And, um, you know, how is that determined? Is it individualized? Like, What's the system that determines that? Great question. We are in the process of trying to figure that out ourselves because there's a lot of stuff that goes into play with this. And that's why I think nobody's done it yet, is really come up with an accurate health score for an individual. Um, we all have credit scores and there's a lot of factors that play into there. Uh, but you know, we envision something like, like a credit score. If you look at, if you pull your credit report, you can see anybody that, that pinged your credit profile Mm -hmm. and you see a history of that. This credit agency did this, this credit card did this. And most of the time, like, who are these people? (laughs) You don't know. So the, the idea also is to have that for our health information too, is to see exactly who accessed this and kind of have a history of exactly who has read your stuff, who has your, your health information. But uh, more importantly, the scoring aspect is it's unique. And we are using some open source technology um, developed by a guest you had on your podcast uh, a few episodes ago, Johan Sonnen from Involution Studios. I don't know if you saw HGraph. Um, some yeah. of their work. Yeah, yeah, I did see a little bit. And that's for the audience. That's episode 20 with Johan GoInvo uh, from GoInvo. He's um, really, it was fun to talk to him and he's done a lot of work in healthcare uh, very recently. So check that out. Episode 20, everyone. Go ahead. Oh yeah. It's uh, I definitely highly recommend uh, their studio for any healthcare design related projects. I mean, they are the best that I've seen out there. Well, Johan's and- created the, the determinants of health poster that I've shared with so many people already. It's a really cool, everyone thinks it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, look at it every day. And yeah. I actually look up to it and I have a bunch of the determinants highlighted hmm. and that's the determinants we're going to target. And social determinants of health is, you know, 
as a whole, that's kind of what is coming into this health score. And that's what HGraph is really. It takes in all the determinants of health and it, it uh, gives you a score, an individual score. Um, and right now, like I said, it's starting with what we're using right now is just um, sleep, steps, and activity, your active minutes throughout the day. Uh, we're going to be adding in blood pressure, weight, and heart rate variability. Um, that's actually there now. We just don't incorporate that to the score visually. And then start adding in your, your lab records, um, just a wide variety of lab records. Um, I can imagine lab, rec lab records being a very useful um, kind of non-fungible tokenized service that people can purchase and they can go get a blood test for certain um you know to see what their blood work looks like and have that analyzed and whatever so have another person have a separate providers analyzing it you can uh, put it on the marketplace who can take a look at my blood work look at my history so there's a whole like like you said marketplace that could develop with this kind of service yeah that's kind of what we're looking at for this and there's a handful of companies looking at the same thing and we didn't really set out to create a personal health record but that is essentially what it is you know we have the ability to bring in all your wearable data um, and now you know wireless blood pressure cuffs wireless scales um, genomic data uh, we will eventually be incorporating your 23andme data or just any um, genomic sequence that you might have your microbiomic data and essentially every data point we can possibly get on an individual we want it and we want the you as the user to own it mm -hmm. uh, so we don't necessarily want to own your stuff we want you to own it or not necessarily own it because not everybody wants to own their data they just want complete control of their data so there's a couple of different directions we're going with that where everyone um especially using Humantive, uh, they will have 100% ownership or 100% control and they can store it wherever they want to. Um, and, you know, we're not ready for that yet, but that's the direction we're heading. Um, but yeah, once you do have all these different data points, we generate a health score and that's on um, from zero, you're dead to 100, you know, you're theoretically the healthiest you can possibly be. And it varies for individuals because we are looking at different ways of handicapping this. Um, because we know some people right now with our health score, if you're not that active, it's very low. If you're very active, it's very high. But we really want to get to a way where we can handicap this in a way, kind of like golf. Like I can go out there and I'm, I'm a halfway decent golfer, but if I play Tiger Woods, I'd lose every single time by a lot. But with the handicap system, we can be on the same page. We can compete relatively on, on the same level. So kind of on the same way with what we're trying to do with some of our leaderboards and our incentive um, platforms really is to to get everybody on the same page in terms of what they want to do with their health because you might have a 45-year-old uh, woman that is severely just unhealthy and she just might want to be able to walk up three flights of stairs without wanting to pass out uh, versus you have this triathlete that wants to excel a little bit in his sport. Well, their health scores are going to differ a little bit, but based on their journey, whatever their health journey might be, it's uh, it's going to reflect that in their health score. So we're working on that. Uh, this is, once again, an open source project. So we invite anybody that wants to help uh, help us figure out these algorithms because it's going to be an ongoing process. And we're refining it. And every time we add a new data source in, that's just more complexity. So this will be an ongoing process. And uh, will it ever be complete? Eh, hopefully in a couple of years. But it's, it's interesting to see something like this 
And I, I will <laughs> throw up a, a, a warning. This is not like that Black Mirror episode, everybody. Because that's <laughs> when I started explaining this, that's the first time somebody told me about Black Mirror. It's like, did you watch that episode? And I watched it. And uh, it's everything. kind of scary. It's kind of scary about the, the whole Chinese rating system, too. Yeah. Right. And like you said, if the person is able to own it or control it and provide permission for other people to access it, it's not like a public thing or the government isn't controlling or looking at your score. I think that's okay. Um, It's just when um, another organization or entity or government is making decisions based around what score you have, like if you have a 40, it's like, all right, well, this person you know, it's not as important as the 90, then then you have um, some inequity kind of issues that, that could occur. And a lot of ethical questions can arise from that, which is going to happen no matter what with the blockchain and especially in healthcare. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you, a lot of people, some of the first questions that people have is what if we have a, what if I have a, a pre-existing condition? And that's one thing I do want to clear up with what we're doing with Citizen Health it's not about that. I mean, actually, we're looking to target people with pre-existing conditions. You know, you look at that 5% of all the patients out there that cost 50% of all the healthcare expenditures. That's really our target market. You know, we want the people that have the problems because we want to help you fix your problems. And you know, using technology, wearable technology, um, genetics, uh, microbiomics, you know, using the, the stuff that just wasn't possible five years ago, we want to put it to good use and help patients get off the medication or start taking the correct medication, you know, get on a personalized nutritional plan to potentially and get off some more medication. So that's kind of, you know, what we're looking at. People say, well, what happens if I have this preexisting condition? Well, that's actually good. We want to know that because we want to help you move forward. So that's, that's definitely how we differ. Uh, in terms of what our, our future plans are and what a uh, health insurance company would be because, you know, they definitely don't want to touch the sick people because they lose more money. So I'm just thinking about all this data that you intend to um, kind of collect and allow the patient to have in their palm of their hands. How will that be analyzed? Are you looking at machine learning, artificial intelligence as like, a, you know, the data computer? <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, we have we have this idea, this concept of a health operating system. And if you look at a, a just a typical operating system, that basically you have all these different hardware pieces and the operating system uh, it abstracts away all that complexity of all those different pieces of hardware and kind of normalizes that where it's all it, it operates together. So kind of the same thing if you think about you have all these different data sources and they don't mean they don't necessarily have impact alone, but together you can do a lot with it. You gain a lot of insight. So that's kind of where we're looking at, because uh, in the future we're going to have sensors everywhere. I mean, right. we're going to have smart toilets, we're going to have smart sinks, smart toothbrushes, and it's going to be passive data collected on us wherever we go. So you can see that. So now we're trying to build this operating system that combines all this and allows us, you know, researchers, developers to use this data in a de-identified way or an identified way, whatever you know, the, the user wants to do, but come together and use it for our benefit. So it's, you know, it's a far out there concept of a health operating system, but that's 
that's the idea of, of where we're going with all these different data sources and uh, what we can do with it. You know, I do believe that in the future, this is going to be what we use to start curing diseases. Because now with the open source movement, uh, I mean, I have a big problem with pharmaceutical companies keeping us on life support. I know if they could come right. up with a cure, they would and probably put a very high price tag on there. But their business model works a whole lot better if they just kind of egg us, you know, just lead us along with monthly prescriptions. I mean, I, for one, do not want to be dependent on medication my whole life. I'd much rather find a cure or have better nutrition to eliminate that. So I think having this influx of data and uh let me just talk about that real fast you know the genetic data like i have a kit on my desk sitting over there it's a full genome sequencing kit and i bought it for 199 dollars on a black friday sale and this isn't just a, a genotype like which company is it dante labs okay and i try to get it off veritas genetics and they had yeah. the same 199 deal it they sold out of a thousand in four hours like from midnight to 4 a.m thousand people there's that's a huge demand for this and what i'm getting at is 10 years ago that cost 10 million dollars right so 10 million 200 like the, the price point's coming down to where it's affordable for just about everyone in a couple years i mean 50 bucks here in about two or three years so now we have all this data a whole lot of data and what can we do with that if we all own it you know if the pharmaceutical companies owned it they're going to do their profit thing and try to, to silo that data. But what if we open sourced it all? Like what if we as patients came together and we said, I have this condition, you have this condition, you have this condition. Well, let's put our data together. Let's put our money together and let's do our own research. Crowdsourcing like research. That's the, I 100% agree with you on that. And I think that's really important uh, that we start we start this correctly now before, like you said, the pharmaceutical companies just own it and they will run with it and then we'll end up kind of getting screwed in the end so yeah i, I love agree. it i mean I'm, I'm a big believer in crowdsource anything especially open source you know traditionally open source has been with software but now you're starting to see open source really just means a lot of people coming together contributing their time knowledge and, and money to build something that works for everyone so I, i'm a big believer that healthcare has to be open sourced to truly fix it, you know, to truly build something that works for everyone. And um, I, I think that might be a contrarian view. I'm not sure. I think some people do agree with that, but uh, a lot of people don't. But I do believe that that is the way moving forward. And think about it. we got almost 330 million people in this country uh, coming together. It's a lot of data. It's a lot of insight. And uh, especially with the, the speed of genomics, I mean, pretty much right now, our, our data pool of genomics is white males. <laughs> I mean, really up until now, and it's going to start expanding where we can learn so much more about everyone. And that's just going to just expedite the whole research process of the more data, the better data, more insight. And I'm just truly excited to see how this plays out. And I just I want to what we're trying to do is really build an infrastructure to support this and to see where it goes, because I do think that the ownership and control needs to be in the patient's hand. And also the physician's hand. I mean, that's kind of the whole goal of what we're trying to do is bring the patient and the physician and the caregivers to the, to the table mm -hmm. and say, hey, what can we create for you? Now let's build that together. So that's kind of the premise of, of this health operating system. Very, very cool. And I'm just thinking about how pharmaceuticals have worked in the past. 
you can think about, you know, many years ago was just chemical compounds being uh, distributed. Then biologics came into play, which made treatments more targeted so you wouldn't have as many side effects or adverse effects. Now there's a lot of research going into genetic modification and CRISPR kind of technologies where you can specifically target genes that might be affecting or might be causing certain symptoms. Um, so I think that's going to be an incredible technology that's going to change the way we look at healthcare overall. And like you said, 10 years ago, doing a whole genome sequence was what, millions of dollars? In another 10 years, how much is it going to cost for us to edit our genome? Is it going to cost $199? We don't know. It's possible. And we got to make sure that we have that infrastructure like you're talking about to uh, enable good health and not just profit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm going to add to that on top Please of <laughs> bioelectric medicine. Ah, you're talking my language now. <laughs> yeah, this stuff. When I ran across this a couple of years ago, I was my mind was blown. I just didn't know that existed. And uh, since then, it's really been quiet. You haven't heard too much about it. But the ability to to turn certain cells and certain hormones on or off. I mean, basically everything in our body responds to it, either a chemical impulse or uh, electrical impulse. Mm -hmm. So now they have this availability or this opportunity to implant an electrode on your vagus nerve and send certain signals down to certain parts of your body and turn things on and off. And there's a lot of promise in this. And especially when you get to Neuralink and stuff like that, it's scary, but it's also, you can see how diseases will be cured in the next 15 to 25 years. That's kind of my proje uh, projection on that. And on top of CRISPR, I mean, I think, I truly do believe that we're going to be living in a world where disease is optional hmm. in, in less than 30 years. And that, that is my personal goal is to cure, treat, or manage all diseases by 2050. And I do believe we can do that. I mean, right now we're sitting on this growth curve of, of Moore's law and just exponential technologies. Exponential technologies are about to come together to completely change how we view the future and just I'm with you, I'm with you on yeah. that. Uh, so you said what's interesting is that disease will be optional I kind of agree the question would be who's going to be able to make that decision is it going to be cost based because you're going to see a lot of people who can't afford it continue to have the disease so that's going to be another huge conversation that as a society we'll need to have and uh, not shy away from because I think it's really important. Well, yeah, and that, you know that's that's kind of why we're doing this. What we're doing now, um, you know, removing insurance companies is really the first step. Because if you can save a trillion dollars, what can you do with that? I mean, heck, just we waste nine hundred billion dollars a year just in excess stuff and fraud and waste and healthcare. I mean, in two weeks of that, we can cure or we can eliminate homelessness in America just for two weeks of what we waste in healthcare. So there's a lot of stuff we can do with billions of dollars, but giving the power and control back to the people is it has to be the first step because I mean, you can build off that now. I mean, it's estimated that what 50% of all jobs in 15 years haven't even been invented yet. Well, AI robotics, um, some of these newer technologies is going to create completely new fields and, if there are any physicians listening to this, get ready. Uh, your job will be replaced. The majority of your job will be replaced in probably 20 years. I mean, AI is going to, it's going to get to that point where physicians aren't, you're not going to need to know 
remember things. Uh, you're going to need kind of change up your role to be more of a, uh, an interpreter, interpreter of the AI and to help the patient kind of coach them along. And you know, a lot of physicians are fighting that. And I just, I'd welcome you to say, you know, don't fight it, help build it, you know, help augment your intelligence to make that best possible decision. And, um, yeah, I do think that a lot of things are moving this way and the cost of technology is getting cheaper. AI is getting better. Um, if we can start introducing new forms of currency and cryptocurrency, um, met it to, to offset a lot of these costs and you can generate this. Uh, I do think that we're going to start getting to that price point, you know, 10x cheaper. You know, that's kind of the goal mm -hmm. where, you know, healthcare, you can just chat with your digital assistant sitting on your desk and all your data is being tracked passively. You know what, you know, years before you ever have cancer and you can start treating it um, proactively. So we're going to start seeing a, a shift in cost and shift in possibilities that, you know, hopefully everyone will have that ability to um, get that cure, potentially that cure for whatever disease ails them. And I do think that's going to be, it's going to come down to a price point that everybody should be able to afford. And if not, and that, that is what our government's here for too. Amazing. I have a kind of like a final fun question for you. Who is uh, your favorite in history business person or scientist that has inspired you? In history, well, or it could right be alive. now, Elon Musk. Yeah, wow. I was when you said Neuralink, I had a feeling you were going to yeah. answer that way. <laughs> oh yeah, Elon Musk. Um, gosh, since I've been following him since right when he became CEO of Tesla, I mean, it's been what 10, 12 years, something like that. And the way he thinks, first principles thinking. That's I didn't know the term, but that's that's the way I think. You know, just let's strip away Stop everything. Let's get down to the fundamental problems, mm -hmm. fundamental product, like working things, and let's figure out how to fix the problems using just the fundamentals. And that's what I did with healthcare. Actually, I got a pack of note cards, two packs to be exact, and I wrote down every single player in this game, spread out all over the floor. And I was looking around thinking, well, yeah, 98% of everything out here just doesn't, it doesn't need to be there. And you have the patient and you have the healthcare provider. Let's just match them up together. Like you don't need everything else. And then with that idea, like build around that. So that really what he's done uh, people are hating on him right now. Um, some well, people, I, yeah, you're always gonna like, have haters, right? Yeah, that's, I know. It's like, Especially come on, at his scale, you know. So yeah, him just pushing the limits of what's possible and thinking about the bigger picture and not short term. I mean, he's yeah. he's got plans of you know generational plans, right. and you have to have that mindset to truly disrupt things such as healthcare. So he definitely, he's my favorite. I wonder what his thoughts are on blockchain technology. I don't think I've seen a lot of, you know, videos or clips on that by him. But you know, we'll see. I'm sure like it'll play out, and he'll start talking about it. Yeah, I thought I kind of thought when he uh, threw out that, that 420 or 420 dollar tweet that he was just going to screw it all, screw the SEC. Let's just have our token sell a Tesla token or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I've heard there's some conspiracy theories that he's a Satoshi, but I. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that tweet, but I do know when he said 420. I, I just remembered he was uh, uh, smoking a little bit of weed at uh, at um what was Joe it? Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan podcast. So I thought, you know, he obviously doesn't care about societal's expectations, and he just kind of does what he wants. And I totally respect that. I think that's cool uh, and important. You know, otherwise we're all going to be robots, and we don't want to be yeah. that. <laughs> um, Brennan, this was an awesome conversation. I had a lot of fun. Uh, is there anything you want to tell the audience? One thing I want to tell the audience is that 
Uh, Citizen Health has a YouTube channel where uh, Brennan and his team talk about a lot of the topics and issues we sort of touched upon today. So it's really, it's a really great resource if you want to learn more. Um, and you know, being an open source platform, how do how do people get in touch with you and start working on some of your bounty programs or, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a, a new online community we just launched a couple weeks ago, and it's uh, hq.citizenhealth.io. And feel free to, to please come join and just join the communication or uh, conversation there and help us build that community. And that's kind of the first step is building a community around these projects uh, to get uh, collaboration going. And um, that is kind of the first step there. And you can reach out to me directly, Brennan at citizenhealth.io. Um, contact me there and uh, find us on Twitter, citizenhealth.io and um, myself at Brennan Hodge. And let's just uh, get the conversation going. And uh, Ray, I definitely appreciate you having me on. And I realized that we're about past an hour here, and there's a lot of things we didn't get to talk about. So I apologize for going off track, but I get really passionate about some of these topics. No, I think it was d- definitely worth it. And don't worry, we'll I'm sure we'll have a conversation in the future one day, and you know, check out your progress. So I'm looking forward to that. I would like to add one thing about Metaplex. You Please know, just kind of give a roadmap here. Yeah. So the end of Let's just say the first week of February, we're going to be open Metaplex up for healthcare providers. And we're going to focus on transparency first. So anybody that wants to offer cash based pricing, come and join. This is direct primary care providers, um, surgery centers. I forgot to say we do have a pilot with the surgery center as well. Um, imaging facilities, uh, labs, um, physical therapists, chiropractors, really anybody that operates on this cash basis. Please come and join, um, create a profile, list your services. Uh, it's kind of like LinkedIn for healthcare. It's pretty neat. And uh, we're going to have different different options rolling out in, in, in waves of communication features where you can chat with your patients, um, uh, potential patients, uh, scheduling, billing, stuff like that. Um, but then we're going to be moving into functional medicine. I really believe in functional medicine, um, kind of treating the patient as a whole, looking at their whole entire system. Uh, and using genetics and microbiomics, using the data we have to really help fix, uh, help solve a patient's problem. So if, if you do want to explore that, uh, feel free to reach out to me with that. We can um, start start the discussion. But also Humanta, we're going to be taking that out of beta about the same time we launched Metaplex. So that should be, um, should be an interesting month of February. And uh, I will be speaking at a couple different uh, couple different venues over this year. Actually, I'm giving a TED talk that I just found out about um, in a month, very short notice. That's awesome. Uh, Going to be talking about the very high level and kind of some of the future technologies we talked about. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, so that's the best about it. It's a quick roadmap. And uh, once again, Ray, I appreciate it. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.